You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin-cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. And what's up, everybody? Welcome back to the O2 Podcast, the Ohio Outdoors Podcast. Andrew and Paul are here with you tonight. Paul, what's up, big man? How you doing, man? I, I have to say this. Happy birthday, Andrew Mounts. Thanks, buddy. How old are you? And uh, one day closer to death. That's about what I feel one like. One day right closer now. to death. It's yeah. real, real optimistic look on life. Huh? No, you look good, man. You survived archery hike, so I mean, hell, if that doesn't kill you, holy crap! Thirty-seven, <laughs> thirty-seven. So we're moving. Um, there you go. Yeah, let's go ahead and hop into that, man. Recapping <laughs> the archery hike. So you and I got the privilege to go down there. Uh, Friday was it kind of fun. With Brandon. Friday. Yep. Do a little shooting. Uh, man, Justin, he put together a hell of a course, didn't he? Man, it was a blast. It really, it really was. It was a good, uh, lifelike hunting scenario. I feel like hunting, you know, like you plan it out like, oh, yeah, this is where the deer, elk, moose, whatever it is, is going to step out. Turkey never works that way. And so there was some really interesting, my favorite shot, and this is a great example. There was a lay down log. And there was a mountain lion that was in between, like, the branch going up. And, like, so you had to come up to this thing. You don't realize how covered it was until you get up there. It was cool. It was a, it was a great setup. Very um, ch- challenging. Uh, a lot of fun. Fair. Just a great, a great test. I really enjoyed it, man. I had a blast. So anybody who wasn't able to get out there this year, put it on your calendar for next year because it is an event, man. And so I shot it last year, Paul, and and Justin kind of revamped it this year. So last year it was 12, 12 stops along the way. And I don't remember how long the hike was, probably a mile and a half or so. This year I tracked three miles. Uh, long and there's 25 total shots last year it was 12 stops but you went through the course twice there's two shots at each one right um so when we went down this year this year i had this idea in my mind well we'll go through it once i'll wear the heavy backpack because you know the challenge was put out there so i had to do it right wear the 50 pound pack on my back which almost killed me because i'm not a rucker i think i'm i'm in shape but man that got after me um 
and I was planning on shooting the course, going to lunch, come back and shooting it again. And I don't know, somewhere probably around the three hour mark, I was like, there is no way in hell that we are going to shoot this again tonight. <laughs> uh, oh man, you, the, that heavy challenge. I mean, so yeah, 50 pounds in the, in the, in the, in the backpack there. And you did, you did not have the appropriate backpack to be doing 50 pounds through the woods like that. No. So Justin set it up. Frameless. He wanted, he wanted you to bring like a big frame pack, like you were hunting in the backwoods. Right. And you had your stuff on your back. Well, my dumbass is like, well, 50 pounds. I got a 50 pound dumbbell in the barn. Let's go ahead, throw it in this backpack and let's roll. And, uh, that wasn't smart. 85% humidity. And you were regretting that. Like, through the first like five stops you're like this sucks what, i don't, what I don't I remember done? who said it but it was about the fourth or fifth shot and somebody's like are you squinting with your peep eye <laughs> like yes yeah. because i have sweat just pouring down my face oh my god i i've never seen a human being sweat that much and i i mean i played sports for decades and i never i never saw you sweat that much anyone sweat that much it was incredible man i'll give it to you it was that was a that was a true true test and you i mean you got through it i was i I was very very impressed man i think we all lost because one arrow i could have yeah we all lost one arrow uh our our buddy brandon uh did really yeah he put on a clinic he did a good job we all did a good job yeah one arrow at one point i think i was the I think I, I I think I was the first one to lose an arrow, and Brandon's like, "We need Paul to lose an arrow." I'm like, "Hey man, I'm already there. Stop! Don't put that juju on me." No, and it's funny. So, you were you shot great. The world, I, I shocked myself. Honestly, world's worst bow hunter, but you shot just fine. So yeah. Um, what was your what favorite target out there? Man, I think so. The the bobcat behind the tree was probably my my favorite, just because it was like, what was it? 12 yards or something like that 15 yards but it had i mean it was uphill i mean it was like straight uphill you had the you had the trees in the way you had the brush in the way it was that was cool that was probably my favorite i'd say the next one was that that big elk that was v'd by the trees what was it 81 yards something like that well, it depends which which rainfinder. Yeah. Rain which rainfinder? Mine and Brandon was eighty one. I think yours was like eighty five, seventeen. Yeah, so, so yeah, stupid. But that was my favorite. What was what was your what was your favorite target? So I went back Saturday morning and shot it. Just I took the the wife and kids and they hiked and loved it. Um, and we, I'm trying to think. Some of those really long ones are interesting, but there is a point where it's just kind of like pull and pray. Yeah. Uh, but the full and pray is that yeah, trademarked? I, I don't know. That was probably you better trademark. Yeah, that. that's good. I like that. Next T-shirt. Um. Uh. There was one I was just thinking of. You know that bedded doe? That one was the tough. bedded doe was cool. That was yeah. That was, that was cool. real tough. And it was like forty nine yards or something. Forty five. My range. But it was tough, man. It was a really tough shot and uh to get through the branches and everything so that one was cool but kudos to justin for setting that great up. event uh fabulous yep. raising money for farmers and hunters feeding hungry uh he had yep. a lot of people out there he had people from five states so uh yeah the one really guy, cool one guy was there i think you might have left but he would come up from kentucky and he's going on, okay. a, on an elk trip later this fall so this was his first like chance to get out and, and test the waters to, so to speak yeah and uh, I think it was good. I mean, he had the big yeah. pack and everything. So, man, it was a, yeah, it was it was it was a ton of fun. Good good sponsors, 
Uh, Matt Schoenhoff, I believe is his name, realtor, land guy. Check him out. Vance Outdoors was a sponsor. A couple other ones. Please forgive us. But, yeah, thanks to those guys for the support of Justin's event, Archery Hike. So, so thanks for Justin and his wife and uh, and mother-in-law putting all that together, man. That was a lot of work, and they did it. They did a great job. So, um, Andrew. Yes, sir. July 21st to the 23rd. What are we doing? Muster in the Marsh. Muster in the Marsh. Muster in the Marsh.com. M-U-S-T-E-R-B-H-A. Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. Cover Bridge Outfit. Fitters and Conneaut, Ohio. This is going to be a ton of fun. Live music, beaver trapping classes. We got live podcasts we're doing with with uh, with Cal from from Meat Eater and Kevin Murphy from Meat Eater. We're going to be telling some stories around a campfire on Friday night. Man, this is going to be a ton of fun. Can't wait. Camping, and it's it's a cheap event, man. It's like it's just it's it's a, a couple of bucks, man, for the for the entire weekend camping on site. It's going to be really neat. So kid friendly. There is they've got uh national uh shooting sport or national archery and schools program will be there. They got some really cool stuff. So check check that out. Muster in the marsh.com. Get signed up for that. Get your tickets. Bring your family. Fly fishing demonstrations. Man. Their social media game has been fun. Yes, sir. Get some clever marketing. So um what else we got, Paul? Uh let's see. News around the state. So if you haven't Already, you know, the month of July is your time to apply for uh, controlled hunts across the state. There are a bunch of them, lots of mentored uh, opportunities. I think I signed up for a bunch of those this year for my my daughter. Did I tell you about when she said, you know, asked me if she could go on a hunting trip? And um, I'm like, sure, you know. And in my mind, I'm like, cool, I'll take you to one of the properties I have and we'll put a, you know, put a blind or double ladder up or something like that. She pulls out the map and she's like, "How about Kentucky or maybe Virginia?" And I'm like, "Nope, nope, 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 oh, nope." Time out. You've got, you've you've got a budding hunting dish uh, there at home. So. Yeah, she's got. That's her, awesome. That's man. her her reading challenge for the summer. She finishes yeah. enough pages reading, she can go on a hunting trip with me. So yeah, there you go. See, um, you said our reading challenges. You read enough books to get a Nintendo Switch. <laughs> wow, look at you guys. It's um, you should put topo maps in her hand. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I got, how to, that'd be great, right? Here, read old school ahead, topo maps. Download Onyx onto your iPad. Uh, yeah. Oh no, no, not Onyx. <laughs> like actual like paper maps. <laughs> she wouldn't know what to do. Here's that. A, yeah, here's a compass and a map. Get outside. Here, here's a story for you. Right, so we're at a party the other night, and I apologize because people are going to hear stories that I'm not a very good storyteller. And uh, whatever, <laughs> Paul, you'll enjoy this. We're at a kid's birthday party, right down towards uh, Lancaster. And they pull out the quads, right? They got this guy's got, I mean, he's got little kid quads and like every, you know, next step up. So all these four wheelers running around, the kids are on them and stuff like that. My son loves it. He's absolutely enamored. So he comes home the next morning and he uh, decides he's going to write me his Christmas list. Now he has some issues with throwing temper tantrums and he's seven and yeah, it's probably bad parenting. That's fine. Uh, but it is what it is like. So when he, he makes his Christmas list and I'm like, all right, um, and it, it let's see it starts number one is a quad, number two is a dirt bike, and number three is an Xbox with Fortnite. So of course he's you nice. know it's like I don't know three four five thousand dollars worth of stuff right there. And I'm like, well here's the deal, but <laughs> not happening. First of all, uh, you need to change your ways because your little fits and stuff they got to stop. And the other thing is this is six months away. I'm not worried about it right now. And he then proceeds to throw a fit and uh, walks in the living room. I'm watching him like literally, dude, we just had this conversation. You're not throwing fits anymore. He punts a ball 
So we have rules that you don't play with balls in the house, right? Because things break. There's a ball sitting there, and he just kicks it. It goes zoop, like straight up, and drills the deer head on the wall. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> like the wrath of God just came down in that house. And Annie, my daughter said to me later, she said, Dad, I'm. I've never seen your your mood change so fast like that. I'm like, well, because <laughs> all three things that he knows he's not supposed to do. You don't oh, touch the deer. You don't yeah. kick balls at us. You don't throw fits. Oh, my God. After he gave me his Christmas list for, uh, you know, what he wants for Christmas. But, <laughs> oh, my God. I, I would have lost my mind. Child services almost got <laughs> called to my house that morning. Uh, come get him. I'm done with him. Take him. Oh, man. What a, what a mess. Time to go wild.com, Andrew. Uh, friends of ours, Kentucky, great app. You know, it's funny, man. I was, I was, I'm trying to find a clarifier. I thought I needed a clarifier for my bow. My eyes are getting weird, right? So I put a comment out on Go Wild said, Hey, if you guys use clarifiers, and Mike Larson hops on there and he's like, Do you need a clarifier or a verifier? I didn't know what the hell a verifier was. Boom, our boys at Go Wild got him on there. Good prices. I was Googling stuff and, who pops up time to go wild.com good price they got a ton of stuff for the hunter great social community platform tons of fishing gear if you're uh if you're still fishing getting geared up for that so, so time to go wild.com as you mentioned it is my birthday today uh this yeah. this this will air after the fact but the uh I, I got on there this morning and uh after the 3d archery shoot last week weekend and um pulling arrows out of the plastic deer legs that i have i decided to buy myself a new target that i got off of there so i got a reinhardt foam deer off go out this morning that was my birthday oh there you go myself nice yeah and no i need to I, go ahead I, the other thing i'll tell you because i don't i don't know how much they pushed it lately uh if you guys are getting into mobile hunting stuff and um you haven't checked out timber ninja timber ninja is new on to go wild and uh, jason red who we've had on the show a couple times uh you know as the founder and stuff Highly, highly encourage you to check that out. So on Go Wild, you can. This find stuff's it. legit, man. It yeah. is awesome. Super light. Yeah. Um, very cool stuff. Yep. So, yeah, good, good stuff. So firstlight.com. They got any sales going on right now, months? They got the, the the summertime kits, scouting kits. What do they got? They got something. I don't know. Probably. Yeah, probably. Doesn't matter. Keep looking. I love. I gotta get. I gotta get like gloves. I gotta get new hats. I gotta get pants that fit. My none of my first light pants fit anymore. I've lost so much weight. I got I I got I got some some serious legwork to do on firstlight.com. So uh I will be on there. How 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 you hold up with shorts? You got plenty of shorts? Every time uh, I see it, you got how you get you have first light shorts on. I'm like, God, man, those look good. Those guidelight shorts are the the best, man. They're super yeah, they, versatile. But yeah. Um yeah, and then man, they're dropping all kinds of new stuff. We gotta get caught back up on that. The timber camo they came out with, and some of the twenty twenty three yeah. waterfall stuff, um, but yeah, we'll work on that one. There. There's new stuff. Those guys, those guys are on it, man. They're they're pumping out some some good stuff. You know who else is pumping out some good stuff uh, from up there in the Northland? Half rack, half dash rack dot com. Ohio Outdoors fifteen. Save yourself fifteen percent on all the. Well, give me give me good product. You got to have something. I'll tell you what I like. I like the Wildcat bowcase. That thing's badass. Soft sided, plenty of storage. Big fan, big you, fan. It's 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 not that much money, man. Did you see the Freedom it's, Hangers? No, so they, they got their Hunter that. Hangers right, but they put them into like red, white, and blue. And there's some right they did. That's America. There's something they they posted on their Instagram the other day, um, and I might have been um, a few adult beverages deep when I saw this post come through. But it was like, give us a one line comment of what you know where these best would go or something like that. 
and I was like in a commie's heart. And uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> probably not my best choice of words, but uh, I got some likes. So there you go. But it looks like they're sold out of the Freedom Hangers. Imagine that. Oh, of course they're America. There we go. Um, yeah, Ohio Outdoors fifteen. Save yourself fifteen percent. Uh, if you're also on the on in, in the mood for a deal and a ton of really good selection, MidwestGunWorks dot com. Our boy Cameron out there putting out some really cool videos. If you're in the mode of tinkering on your gun, your firearm, you're looking for a new firearm, looking for optics, ammunition, lowers, uppers, ARs. All sorts of stuff for the gun enthusiast in this country. If you're working on parts, if you're a tinker in your uh, in your shop, in your garage, Andrew, they have a ton of gunsmithing equipment, a ton of tools, and and a ton of parts and knowledge available on that website, MidwestGunWorks.com. Ohio Outdoors 5, save yourself 5% on that. Uh, what else you got? We got you, you still shooting hogs with the thermal? X-Vision. No, I'm not shooting hogs because we don't have hogs around here in, in my thank neck God. of the woods. Um, oh, thank God. I had three coyotes on a camera. In my, I know. In my I, I, that's how crazy day. was that? I drove by your house, and I was like, dude, there's a huge coyote in your backyard. And then he was. He was there like yeah, 10 he, minutes later. Yeah, yeah, it was wild, man. It was pretty cool. Um, that. I, I've been... Our our buddies down at Serious Archery. I was I was talking to them, and they I have you you've listened to this. I I know I've I've listened to it a couple of times. But the the Serious Talk S I R I U S Talk their podcast, that's a pretty cool show, man. They had um the episode today was was spear hunting with with a guy named Stephen Stephen Robbins. Dude, how crazy is that? Sounds crazy. Spear hunting, like that's like the ultimate like. I don't know. You, I, I feel like that's something like you really have to practice and be ready to kill some stuff. Like that's intense, man. Yeah. So yeah, good stuff. Check check that out. Serious talk, great podcast. And let's see, last one but not least, X Vision Optics, uh, your go to for all your thermal and uh, night vision. They got all kinds of stuff on there, man. Monoculars, scopes, binos, range finders, all that kind of stuff. Um, it's great stuff, and and I haven't been out shooting hogs, but or coyotes lately. Probably need to. Um, life needs to slow down a little bit, but we'll get there. We'll get there. Also, they're over on Go Wild as well. So, uh, but Exhibition yeah, Optics, if you want to check out their website. So, yep. let's see if there's anything else around the state. Uh, let's see. You got a new accessible trail at Baroque State Park. Um, some boating infrastructure. Grant that improves dockage and draws boaters. Um, ODNR unveils the first haiku trail at Ohio State Parks, College Corner. Uh, where's that? Houston Woods State Park. So yeah. Oh, this was kind of a new one, cool one. New treatment plant to process acid mine drainage into paint products. And that's down in Millfield. Yeah. Oh, man. Millfield. That's that's my stomping, stomping grounds on here. Uh, little area okay. mine disaster down there millfield mine disaster if you're intrigued by that google it that's a that's a crazy story man sad story yeah but so, what was the one you had need a lot of work on earlier paul it was not from odnr but uh so it, it's the, the the national deer association nda uh they've done there's been a 30 year research project on hunters uh, in in the longest known CWD zones uh, in in this country, so Wyoming, Colorado, Wisconsin, and you know, I was it was conducted by Dr. Joe Abrams of the Center for Disease Control in Atlanta, and he just recently presented preliminary 
per, preliminary data for the survey uh, of the hunters and some of the oldest CWD outbreak areas. Um, so I'm going to read this here. The Colorado and Wyoming studies reviewed data going back 30 years and examined records for over 2 million hunters, including hundreds of thousands who hunted in CWD endemic areas. It is likely that over decades, many thousands of these hunters knowingly or unknowingly ate venison from CWD positive animals. Uh, and this is a quote from Dr. Abrams. There was no indication of these hunters dying at a higher rate of prion diseases than the general population. He goes on uh, a little later in the study to talk about the Wisconsin study that was conducted also uh, uh, 20 year, 20 years, so two decades long study. Uh, they, they found they tested 642 hunters that had that were known to have consumed CWD positive venison. Uh, in that uh, in that twenty year time period, and not one of them tested uh, positive for for prion disease or died from prion disease uh, during that time frame. But uh, so the the CW or the the prion disease in humans, Crutchfield Jakob's disease. Andrew, we've talked about this. Yeah, I think that's it. Um, yeah, they said they said that the annual rate uh, for someone dying of that is 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 one in a million. Um, so so it's it's a pretty rare. So, you know, their point was if you found one in 642, like that'd be incredibly high. Um, so right now, preliminary evidence shows that there's really no correlation. Uh, it seems to, to be between uh, you know, CWD positive animals uh, and humans consuming those animals. So that is uh, interesting news. Keep your eyes peeled on that deerassociation.com. I got a ton of information there uh, about that. So good stuff, man. It is. Yeah, I thought that was an interesting uh an interesting study. I mean, there's so many, there's a ton of conversation about CWD. There's a ton of concern about CWD. And I think that this is the way that we start to figure it out is, is those long-term research projects. And it just sucks that we got to wait, but that's how it is. So. Yes. Sometimes you just got to wait. That's it, man. But you don't have to wait any longer for this week's show because now we are going to continue down our little uh, our plan here of kind of doing similar topics once a month, but with different guests from different areas and walks of life. So this is going to be our first show for out-of-state hunting. And um, the guest we have is Johnny Stewart. And Johnny is from north or, or let's see, he's from western Pennsylvania. But the guy's hunted all over the place um, for whitetails. He's a very good whitetail hunter. But he's lived in Pennsylvania for a long time, and he's going to give us a rundown of basically kind of the what the Pennsylvania hunting season looks like. So if you've ever considered hunting out of state, which I would encourage you to do because it will make you a – I think it will make you a better hunter. And I think, Paul, you would echo echo that. It gives you new opportunities, see different things, opens your eyes to different things that maybe – you know, if you're always stumbling down the same path in the same woods that you've done for 40 years or 20 years or whatever, you miss stuff and you get comfortable. And this kind of makes you a little bit more alert and a little bit more aware of, of your surroundings. But anyways, uh, Johnny's going to give us a rundown of kind of like what the Pennsylvania season looks like, the things that make it similar to ours, different than ours. Um, this conversation, I was able to, to give it, I was able to participate a little bit because I've hunted over there. For quite a few years now, um, but I can tell you, as of July 10th, non-resident 
antlerless deer permits went on sale today. So if you are a resident of Ohio or another state besides Pennsylvania and you wanted to go over there and have a opportunity an antlerless permit, they are now on sale. Um, you obviously have to buy also your hunting license, which would come with your antler deer permit um, and obviously read all the regulations in their book and all that kind of stuff. But um, it's a pretty cool opportunity. Pennsylvania has lots of um, public lands. So it's not something where you're going to have to go lease or buy, you know, or, you know, find knocking on doors, anything like that. So there's lots of opportunities over there and it's big woods. It's not farm fields for the most part. So, uh, yeah, I think it's a pretty good show. Hopefully, I can't wait to listen. I was not, I was not there uh, for this talk. So yeah. Interested to hear. I know, I know my out of state hunting, I'm a different level of focus and a different drive when I'm on an out of state hunt, because I've got money in it, like a lot of money. It's, exp- it's, it can be, it can be expensive to hunt out of state. Um, and you've, you've got a short window and man, I'm like a freaking man with my hair on fire when I'm up turkey hunting out of state. So, yep. So anywho, this will be uh Pennsylvania. We've got, uh, some other States on, on the line there, uh, coming up. Maybe if you get, you know, well, look at one of those too. So anywho, I hope you enjoy it and have a great week. Uh, get out there, do something good, and uh, yeah, we'll talk to you soon. All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to the O2 Podcast. Uh, tonight, I've got a very special guest, Mr. Johnny Stewart from over to our east in Pennsylvania. Johnny, what's going on, man? Well, you know creeping up on here to fourth of july you know um not much happening deer wise but um always thinking about deer so you're not you're not out doing fireworks tonight we're, we're recording this on july 3rd so yeah no this is more important right absolutely we ain't got time for fireworks you know fireworks I, are in november <laughs> <laughs> i like that uh yeah i think the the best meme i saw all week and this is we shout out to dan johnson for this one um no there's some people in the uh, united states that don't realize this is their last weekend with 10 fingers uh, as we lead up to the 4th of July. So, uh, yeah, you know, anywho, happy 4th of July. Uh, that will This will be later. But, um, Johnny, you're over in Pennsylvania, and uh, Bo Martonic uh, is a good friend of ours that suggested that we needed to reach out to you and, and, and be educated. Oh, is that what he said? Huh? That's what he said. He said that he, said cool. he taught you everything, but... Uh, <laughs> yeah. Here, I... <laughs> Here's how it goes. I taught Bo everything he knows, but I didn't teach him everything I know. Okay. There you go. There you go. <laughs> I like that. So, yeah. But in our in our little summer series here, we're going to cover some different um, opportunities for hunters, you know, around the state of Ohio and where they can go out of state. So Pennsylvania is probably, well, it depends what part of the state of Ohio you're in, but I've been over there for numerous years. You guys have lots of public land and opportunity. The tag for a non-resident is relatively um, inexpensive. It's very reasonable. I love certain aspects of it, but I, we kind of want to cover some of this, right? So, how yeah. long, Johnny? How long have you been over hunting Pennsylvania? Oh, so I'm 44 this year. So since 12. Uh, you know, do the math with that 32, I think. Yeah. <laughs> quick math. Is that right? And do you want to give so, everybody a quick background of, of you and what you, what's your, I mean. Yeah. So, um, I'm 44, grew up near Pittsburgh. Um, 
was fascinated with deer. My dad wasn't a huge deer hunter, rifle hunted, um, and was just super intrigued by deer. So every time he went, I couldn't wait till he come back and asked him questions, this and that, and then evolved into him taking me and I uh, got my first deer with a gun, was just a doe, probably around 14, and, and then my first buck with a bow at 17. It took a few years. I started shooting bow at 14, I, um, but um, it, I was just fascinated by these creatures. Um, so, yeah, uh, evolved into, you know, taking a lot of game um, at that age, 14, up into my 20s. I loved hunting, killing, you know harvesting deer and everything about it um and then kind of involved evolved from um that into just set my sights on bigger deer um then traveled probably started my 20s traveling to different states mainly uh just maybe knocking on doors or word of mouth hunting areas um and back then nothing was like managed and it was more uh just uh more loose maybe how you know you went about hunting and just talking to people and then um a lot of public land and and so yeah i was able to harvest a lot of animals and quit kind of all the other just really got serious about deer hunting and i used to fish and i was big in a small game and just that all fell to the wayside and st stayed with the the whitetail and hunting mature deer and probably the last now 12 years just strictly public land um, I usually hunt five states, I guess, a year. Um, and yeah, I think more the last few years was more about learning. I think you evolve as a hunter. Like I, as I said, I hunted um, to kill deer, harvest deer. I enjoyed that. Then, and then mature deer. Then I got to a point where I liked helping others. I still do like helping others hunt um, and have success. I like to see other people um, enjoy success and then I got to a point where it's just about learning about these animals and these harder, harder hunting public areas or these mountainous areas, which there's not, it's not uh predict. They don't live predict. They're not as predictable. They're more um, nomads in some of these areas and not concentrations of food or what have you. So um, just really, even as a young age, I kind of just started learn learning from the animals, not so much, at first I would read magazines and learn as much as I could and wrote notes down. And, and it just didn't, I guess maybe when in, the person, the people that wrote articles then didn't really pertain to the hunting I did. And that was a big mistake I made. Um, I think more of like midway West based um, hunters and writing articles. And, and it's just so, and after being in so many States there's so many, it's so diverse, the habitat, the land terrain, there's so many variables. Um, so even when people ask me now, I tried not to give them that black and white answer. It's kind of situational, you know? Um, so I did at an early age kind of quit reading articles and just learn exclusively from the animal, in my quarry, you know, and watched, learn, asked myself a bunch of questions. And before mapping, I just walked through the woods and like uh, really obsessively, um, know as much as I could and I still now talk about knowing everything you can about these animals um, that are fascinating and I feel like every time you go into the woods or forest or timber and uh, you're always learning it's always evolving changing whether it's the habitat or the deer themselves how you know deer die off new ones move in and, and hunting pressure is just it's a learning curve that never ends you know and um, 
I think that's a big part of it here in the last five to eight years was learning. It wasn't always about killing. I think I've done the killing and, and then I, I haven't had, you know, I got into hunting just single, uh, um, or just one mature animal, you know, it's, you get really laser focused and learn their, their habits or tendencies. And I haven't had an animal really lately specific that I've wanted to hunt, you know, some, um, good deer, but nothing was like, Oh, this is the deer I want to hunt. And so just more like bouncing around from deer to deer, or just maybe where good deer are, but just pretty much I was, I'm like a sponge. I have been the last few years and with these animals and I just want to learn everything. I think it's the learning curve that I'm, I'm attracted to and, and that, you know, I think you just go through stages as a hunter, you know, what it's like up and down, maybe um, like a roller coaster, maybe and at this point you're doing this and down here and up and, and different, you know, it's, it's for me, it's that way. I guess I'm not just stagnant in, in what I'm doing out there. You know, it's like, yeah, I wanted to kill deer and, and okay, well, I just want to learn. Like there's years I just sat in the woods re recently in the last few years and just didn't care if I killed a deer. I was I hunted all through all the way through to January, and you know I tell everybody else oh, I'm burned out. I'm done hunting. I said, man, you can see how the woods evolve and, and the snow and this and that and what's left, and you can just learn so much. So yeah, that's uh, that's about you know big part of me i guess so all right so we're going to cover the the whole idea of hunting in pennsylvania but you cover you hit on a, a whole bunch of things there that i was just like writing notes down so the first thing i want to talk about with your career when you say you went from 14 to 17 without killing a buck right is that what you mm -hmm. said or you know, yeah a deer with your bow whatever um can you talk a little bit about that so my background i did not grow up hunting everybody that listens to our show knows this story, but like, I think it was six years before I killed my first deer and it happened real quick. It was on a deer drive, which love them or hate them, whatever it happened. And that was, it got me kind of over a hurdle, but six years, man. And I am not a patient person. And even yeah. so, so three years, right. And from somebody coming from a state where there's, you know, 500,000 hunters and everything else that you guys have the history and everything over there. Can you talk a little bit how you kind of overcame that and, and, and just got over that hurdle of getting my first deer you mean yeah with a bow or, or... I, yeah i think it was just persistence i wanted it bad enough but there was in that time frame i had my opportunities and that's what's great about hunting it's mental and physical you know mentally it's a tough can be tough it could really even in recent years you know i've had times where i missed a deer or maybe if you wound one or whatever, and it just feels like you're never going to get one. So that's where I was at 14. I picked up a bow shooting and this was a great shot every day. And there was, you know, read what I could about hunting and just friends. And there was no one was like some season deer hunting, bow hunting, like, you know, like there are today. And, um, but which was great too. It was just the beginning of my learning curve, but yeah, just, uh, yeah, there was a lot of like, mishaps or missed opportunities but it, you if you're mentally wired to where you, you know you have a focused on a goal and you're just going to learn and take steps to get to that and you might take two steps back or one forward but then when I did get my deer it was like I mean I was happy but it was like man I should have like I guess I, sh I said I should have had one years ago it took me so long but I think um even now you could use um little tricks you know when you're hunting 
to keep yourself out there and keep motivated. Cause I think where I was when I was 13, you know, 14, 15, I just, in my head, I was defeated, but I kept going that I felt like I wasn't going to get it. It's not going to, it's never going to happen. Like it's an easy feeling for even people to get in today. You know what I mean? But um, you just stick with it and keep telling yourself persistence, um, keep going out there and, and uh, you know, do your best to be optimistic. And, and now I kind of look at like, for instance, if I'm thinking about moving the tree for whatever reason, um, sometimes like you said, I am also impatient at times. And I think I put so much time into an area that I feel like it needs to happen right away. Cause I know this area day goes by two days, three days, and then you start second guessing yourself, which is same mentally as maybe when I was 14, but different, but similar to where I tell myself, what are the good reasons, you know, outweigh, uh, what are the, does the bad outweigh the good or vice versa to where it's like, okay, I scattered, I know this is a good area and I just need time and I didn't spook any deer, but on the other hand, it might be like, okay, I bumped some deer, they winded me, da, 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 or someone else hunting, and maybe it's time to leave, you know, so be optimistic, but also realistic to where it says, where you say to yourself, it's time to move, you know, because of all these factors outweigh this side, you know, but I, I think just being pers persistent and wanting it, how bad do you want something in life? I think, you know, and mentally I was in my mind, I was never going to get, I'm never going to get a deer, but I just kept, you enjoyed it. And um, I kept going, you know, just keep, keep driving, keep, keep going, you know, especially if it's something that you're passionate about like that. And it'll, it'll, like you said, it eventually happens. Then you're like, then you're like the king killer, like you're the best killer. And like, hey, this is easy. I got it. But it's so weird how that does mentally change you to once you have that success. You're like, you know, and I, I've met guys in the past that said to me, oh, John, I can't get, you know, they just wanted my help, you know, to get a deer. And I try helping them. And they just felt they were in that rut where I'm never going to get a deer. And then they would get one the next year and following year. Then they're like giving me advice. <laughs> you know what I mean? But it's weird hunts, but that's the game of hunting. It's mentally tough in, in some ways. It is. And I think it's a, it's a nice little microcosm for life, right? You don't always succeed the first time. I think we all know the guy that went out the first time and sat in the, you know, the stand and shot a buck or whatever that happens. But it's, a, and we have some younger listeners. I know, you know, if last year wasn't your year, don't give up, like go out and mm -hmm. do it again. Learn from what you came up with. My first one I ever shot with a bow you know, I didn't know what was going on. I, I shouldn't say I didn't know what's going on. I've learned a lot from there. So I, I went actually back the other day. My kids shoot that bow now. And the arrow weight was like 380 grains. Yes, you can probably kill a deer with 380 grains. I'm not going to start that battle. But like to me, I when I shot that first deer with the bow and it didn't die, I didn't understand what happened. Like I thought the shot placement was good. I've been practicing so much and, and for for all the off season and I've shot thousands of arrows. Why did that deer not die? Well, for whatever reason, I must've hit a shoulder bone or something like that happens and, and don't mm -hmm. quit. Keep going, learn from your mistakes. Um, and I think part like that whole idea within hunting to just overcome obstacles in today's day and age. I mean, we can go down that rabbit hole, but, uh, yeah, <laughs> Just keep pers being persistent, right, and and stay at it. So, and and if you have people like that are successful and they have the same attitude, like 
I talk to Bo a lot and we hunt with each other or if we call and, you know, you know, like, man, I don't know what to do. Should I go here? And is someone else's optimistic too and give you a little, all right, let's go, go here. You know, like having other people that are similar and, and that's, you know, who you'll, you will be if you have people around you that are helping you along the way and have the same issues, but are optimistic and talk, you know, help you through it. That, that's a big help if, you know, if they're saying, just keep at it, you know, keep going, you know, and some people get down on it. You know, I missed one deer. I said, that's all right. Just go shoot another one. Just like that. And they look at me like, okay. Like, why are you thinking like, I can't just go, you know, I've been here hunting this one deer for a month and I missed or I wound. I can't find, I go, go find another one. Stop it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just go. And they look at me like, and they shut up and they're like, yeah. I mean, I don't want to hear your BS. You know what I mean? Right, it's right. done. I give you, you give it a little tomato and okay, shut you down. Go shoot it. Go find another one. Uh, and a lot of, you know, and that's another thing that I usually have enough areas, you know, if something like that happens, have a backup plan, another place to go, another deer to hunt or another area to hunt this deer, you know, and just, you know, I always talk about knowing, know as much as you can and just keep going, you know, don't, I mean, it is, yeah, we'll go, go shoot another one. That's what I say. Absolutely. So, um, one other thing you brought up there earlier, you're talking about when you were younger, reading magazines and kind of the media that you took in to learn from. How how do you think that's changed over the years? I mean, when I look at things now, because I was with you, right? It was Field and Stream. Mm-hmm. I had a subscription. They put the big buck on the, the front page and somebody that harvested some monster deer that's completely unrealistic, whatever. Nowadays, I think with YouTube and there are bigger names that will still bring in these monster deer and it, it looks, you know, sportsman channel like or whatever. I'm sorry. I'm not knocking anybody, but you also have the guys out there that are doing self videoing and, and showing you kind of the, the not as glamorous side of, of deer hunting. Do you think that the media and stuff has changed for the younger generation and people that are not even the generation being younger, but people that are newer to hunting and how they can learn um and what to expect when they get out in the woods yeah i think i mean just <clears throat> the internet and youtube and podcasts and there's people that are doing the same thing as me and kind of being vocal about what they've learned over the years and their situations and it's readily available to everybody then you can kind of associate with that situation and, and help you on your journey you know not just thinking this read a magazine article and think that guy's situation in a fit year it's like the wrong piece for the puzzle you know and you're trying to fit this piece in this puzzle and you're like trying no this is he said this is how to do it you keep doing it doing it and it doesn't fit you know so i think um yeah there's a lot of lot out there from a lot of different people that had success in their own ways and, and they're vocal about it and yeah there's it's there's a lot of good hunters today for those reasons you know um yeah, it's out there everywhere. Take it, take in as much as you can. I think, um, but don't believe that. <clears throat> just don't. I'm not saying kind of don't believe everything you hear. Not exactly that way, but don't think. I always talk about analogies. I always use like it's a toolbox. You put another tool in your toolbox, you know. And when you start, maybe just have a handbag of tools in your hunting career, and then down the road, ten years, you got a whole tool chest full of every tool that you need for every situation so just you know learn from people but don't think that it's 
you know, is a 916 syringe is going to uh, take off a half inch bolt. You know, it doesn't happen that way, you know. So, yeah, that and that's a good reminder. I when I was thinking, you know, the magazines and stuff, it's kind of the Photoshop idea, you know, that they can take out everybody's blemishes and put you they can put you and me on the, on the front cover or something and we'd look great. Right. YouTube is better, I think, as far as giving there's there's a, a wide variety. It's open to everybody. It gives lots of different uh, opportunities for people to post stuff. But there's still the edit button, right? So you still might mm-hmm. not see everything that happens. Yeah, you're right. That's it's. I think for like YouTube, unless you're looking at like a scouting YouTube or something, but the actual kill, I feel like it's not. It's more entertaining than it is, uh, you know, informational type deal. Like I think podcasts are a big thing, and um, yeah, I think that's pretty huge. You know, you could just readily look up and scroll through what type of hunt you're doing and have someone talk. A buddy of mine's 50-some years old, and he just started listening to podcasts like three years ago, and he's picking up stuff, and he's hunted all his life, you know, and he just scrolls through and find what he, you know, and he's just, like I said, a tool in a toolbox, you know, just put another tool. What I really did like about the magazines back in the day, the one thing I did like was, when they interviewed a guy that killed a buck that was in a magazine, it was his actual. Um, so I would like, I, I still do like actual articles on how Joe went out and how he scouted and this deer, he never thought would come in. It came in. It's like, what happened to Joe in this situation? And maybe just learn. He's not actually telling you how to hunt, but his, how his hunt played out. You know, if you read enough of magazine articles of how people's hunt play out and they've had success you're going to pick something up they're not actually telling you this is how you hunt this is how you hunt a scrape this is how you hunt a bed they're just telling the story how it happened so it happened to joe could maybe happen to me so i still like them type of articles you know absolutely the thing about those magazines i i can't read so i just had to look at the pictures so i i missed (laughs) all the, the scouting details and stuff all right so um all right johnny you've hunted pa for a long time pa our neighbors to the east and i've been over there for a lot of years um you guys have a unique opportunity over there and we want to talk a little bit about the state in general uh, the bag limits the season you guys have something over there that we don't which are antler point restrictions we'll cover that in a second but can you just cover for us kind of the general geography of pennsylvania uh, as far as I feel like the whole state's national forest or well, you know public land compared to Ohio, but um, what kind of opportunities would somebody have if they were an out-of-state hunter coming in when they're when they're trying well, to pick geography? Yeah, there there's a fair amount of public land. Uh, they call them game lands, which is state land that uh, Game Commission put out, but also uh, national forest government land, and that's a lot of your. Appalachian mountain chain, but also Pennsylvania is unique because there are so many hunters and there is to me a lot of diverse areas, whether it's habitat or communities. Like I feel like all the other States I've been to, I feel like it's easier to manage like maybe Midwestern States to where you have your, like your little towns or big towns, then you're out in the country pretty much like, uh, like PA. I know, I feel like it's, and it is hard. They, they put zones 
for doe tags. So you'll have like a populated area around Pittsburgh where you have ample doe tags, but then up in the northern area, they regulate where maybe the national forest is, where the d densities are lower. They're going to regulate that. Um, then like you get over toward West Virginia, you're kind of in a country, I guess, or south, southwest corner of PA, and it's it's kind of country slash mountain. There's a lot of, there's a, it's just different wherever you go. It's, it's, it's hard for, like, to me, the game commission to, to actually manage when you don't have that one typical type of environment, you know, where you got cities and you just got country. But um, as far as the available lands that are here to hunt public land, there's, there's a lot. Um, um, I like to hunt the big woods and there's maybe a million acres, half a million, three quarters, 750,000 acres of mountain land. Um, and that even kind of changes its, its national forest. There's plateaus kind of up in a starting point in northern PA, but then there's rugged mountainous area. Um, and there are these state game lands. I, I talk about there's little nooks and crannies of, you know, couple hundred acres here 300 acres there kind of um more um they'll, they'll put some plots in for the deer or or some grasses or what have you for pheasants but um yeah and it, your tag is pretty reasonable you get a buck tag with your your you know when you buy your license and then you can choose to get an archery permit to archery hunt um but um it, there's a lot of different habitat um definitely in pennsylvania um, a lot of hunters, though, I, I've learned um, compared to a lot of states. I mean, there, and there's a lot of good hunters out there. Um, and there's still a lot of good deer in these these part of these um, national forests that I hunt. There's a lot of cover in some of these areas um, that help them get away. Some vast areas. Um, but, yeah, even smaller tracts of game lands. You know, you get around some urban areas just outside that people overlook. Um, but yeah, there's, there's a lot of hunting opportunities in PA, um, for sure. Turkey's, you know, plentiful and bears and deer and, you know, it's a great state to, to live and be a sportsman, really. It, it's, it's amazing. Um, one of the things it is different from Ohio, from my perspective, at least what I've seen, the agriculture side of things, you guys do have ag, right? That don't yeah. get me, don't get me wrong. Compared to Ohio, specifically Western Ohio, it's going to be greatly reduced, right? We don't have cornfields all over the place. You don't have soybean fields all over the place. There are spots where you do, right? But yeah, definitely. A lot of times, it's it seems to be more the rolling hills, the mountains, uh, a lot of the big woods. Now, one of the things I want to say, like your tag system, I really do appreciate. So, as a non-resident, you can buy the tag. I think it's a hundred and fifty bucks there and about for. A buck tag, a fall turkey, and a spring turkey. Like those come standard with the tag. Maybe it's two hundred bucks. Whatever. Now, That's reasonable. It's a oh my gosh, it's super reasonable. Um, mm -hmm. for not for a non-resident, and then from there, it this is where it gets different from Ohio. If you want to hunt archery, you gotta buy the archery tag, and you mentioned that. Yeah. So that's a an additional thing. One of the cool things that Pennsylvania offers that Ohio doesn't is a bear tag. And if you are in the right, well, you can get the bear tag, right? And go hunt the bear season. 
some of your units actually have bear season open during that rifle season mm -hmm. or your first week of rifle it's uh yeah there are some limited areas that you know definitely there's a bear season that comes in before the rifle season and then some of the places that have more bears you could hunt in through um rifle season but also they have a archery bear um hunt you know like it coincides with the archery uh, deer um, probably I think end October, beginning of uh, November, you know, and then one thing that Pennsylvania has was I really like is a black powder season that um, flintlock season that I'm glad they have that. And that's after Christmas, the day after Christmas has been that way. It's a tradition, but um, it's not your traditional inline muzzle loader. You know, this is really primitive, you know, and I like the archery hunting. I like primitive hunting. So, um, I always go out black powder hunting. So you have the, you know, the frizzing and with the, um, the pan powder you put on the outside of the gun and, and, um, the flint and it makes a spark and sometimes it don't go off, but, um, that's a great time to be out in the woods with, with, you know, guys and hunting and you have to get that license before, I think you have to get it early on in the year. You can't, uh, I guess, cause how it works is you get your license, you have a buck tag, um, and then if you don't kill a buck through gun season, you're not allowed to go buy a um, black powder muzzleloader tag because too many people will be back out in the woods. So you have to like purchase that before the gun. And then you're allowed, if you don't get your deer, you know, with a gun or bow, then you're allowed to go black powder. But it's a pretty neat uh, thing. If no, you know, most of the states are in line, but that flintlock is, it used to be patched round ball. Um, just like the 1800s, you know, just ram round ball down the barrel with some, um, some lard and a patch and you go out and shoot a deer, you know, but now you're allowed sabots and they put a little more rifling in a barrel to help tighten your, um, your spin on that sabot to be a little more accurate. I mean, you're good to a hundred plus yards, you know, but, uh, open sights, you're not allowed any scope. It's iron sight. So it's, that's a lot of fun. Nobody can deny Pennsylvania's uh traditions you guys are ripe with tradition over there to the point where it was only a few years ago you started letting select sunday hunting right yeah yeah we're not allowed to hunt sunday there's like one or two days well one day in archery and then one day in gun um but yeah there's heavy tradition out this way and they actually just changed and nobody really likes it i've talked to like the first day of gun season would be the monday after thanksgiving and they changed that to the Saturday after Thanksgiving. And it was just a tradition. People would take off school and, and now it's just, it's weird. It's, it's Saturday instead of the following Monday and, and uh, kind of takes a little bit of tradition out of it. I guess they say it gets more people in the woods. I don't know, but it's, it's, but yeah, most of the part there's a, you know, it's pretty traditional, you know, it's very, um, so talking about, uh, I mean, and then one of the other things I, I would point out, I don't want to get into it too deep, but you guys have what, WMUs, is that what you call them? Or, you know, just management units in general. Uh, yeah. It's So in Ohio, everything's done by the county, right? Bag limits, everything yeah. is, is, is treated by the county. But you guys have different units. Yeah, they used to, like, it used to be county, but it was just too hard. To, some counties near Pittsburgh would be just over one run with deer. Then uh, other counties would be in the northern counties. It was just... So they clump them into zones, like maybe your forested counties would be like a 2F zone. Um, 
I think it's WMUs, you know, wildlife management units, which helps, you know, and they'll give away X amount of doe tags for that area. And your doe tag is an extra tag that you need to buy. And then they'll allocate like 10,000 for this unit or, you know, 20,000. And so um, I think it do pretty good. I mean, you still go areas that are just uh, too many doe, but it's, it's hard to take that many if there's not enough hunters to harvest them. You know what I mean? So, yes. And let's talk about those doe permits. So with your general license, you get a buck permit. Now that's only good for an antler deer. We'll talk about the antler points in there in a second, but the, the doe permitting over there, the way I've always seen, there's two ways to get a doe permit. You can do the old-fashioned pink envelope that is no longer, right? Yeah. Or you could pick up a DMAP permit. So when we talk about the pink envelopes, if you've never hunted in Pennsylvania, I will tell you this is a very archaic, tradition-rich <laughs> system that they used to have. And I swear to God, Johnny, every year I'd have to sit and watch a YouTube video on how to fill out this pink envelope correctly. I'd call yeah. it, I'd call it Mitchell Shirk. Mitch, did I do this right? Like, did I, you know, I'm not sure. And, and numerous yeah. times I had those envelopes sent back to me <laughs> because yeah, yeah. I just didn't do it right. It was, it sounds really easy, but, and, and if you've done it for your entire life, it probably is. But for me, well, I know what you mean. When I was younger, I've had them sent back. I remember looking like, what? So you had to put your return you stamp did... in there an envelope or whatever, you know, one of those stupid little silly things you didn't do right. Whatever. Um, so now you guys have gone away from that. And I think, uh, I think did the residents side of doe permits open up already? Um, yeah, yeah. Okay. We sent them out or well, we didn't send out. I hear my printer back here. You're good. I can't hear it. So anyways, uh, yeah, this year you didn't send out. So, um, it was like online. Um, but I guess so many people tried getting in cause some of them zones only have uh, so many tags, so people get in. And I heard some people were on online for three hours to get it because they wanted to get their license and get that tag right, right away, that doe tag, you know what I mean? You want to hear a good one? So I got on the, the opening day to get my tag, just my regular tag. When I hit the submit button, I had 92,000 people in front of me. Yeah. And they told me that, uh, you know, they would send me an email and I had 10 minutes to get on. Ten hours yeah. later, I got that email. Is that right? Yeah. That's crazy. I went to the Dick's Sporting Goods store after work. Just I'm like, yeah, I better get my license. And I was like three people in front of me. It went pretty smooth, you know, and I got my tag for my zone. Nice. So, But for non-residents, I think Mitch told me or somebody told me it was July 10th. I should I should verify that, which I should also know that because it's my birthday. But um, if that is, I will get, gladly get in line on my birthday to get a, a dope permit. But. Outside of that, that's your kind of your standard one that you guys set for the, the state sets. Now, you guys also have DMAP permits, right? And yeah. These are variable. And I guess what I my experience with those, it was like you'd show up at camp and you run to Walmart. And if they had DMAP permits, you bought one. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes they were there. Sometimes they weren't. And it was kind of just up in the air type of thing. But can you talk a little bit more about those? Yeah. And I've never gotten a DMAP tag. Uh but I don't know, understand it wholly, but I know it's like maps. So like eight North to 22 East or whatever, like this area, you know, you, they, they want some extra deer killed maybe. And it's usually in 
if I'm not mistaken, the forested areas that the forestry says, hey, we need to take more animals in this area. So they'll allocate these DMAP tags that people can pick up over the counter, you know, or send or, you know, how you used to send in. But um, that's kind of how I understand it is that just you're just, um, you know, there's clusters of deer that they need to reduce the population and they're putting these, these I'm guessing DMAP stands for them, you know, maybe doe map or, D, you know, and it's all for does, you know, so. I think it's, um, deer, it's a man- map. deer management area permit or something okay. like that. Yeah. But yeah, so they want to take some of the deer out of certain areas. So that's what these DMAP tags are, you know. So, so depending on if, if you were to go over to Pennsylvania to hunt, you might check out, you know, the, the possibility of, of a DMAP permit, which can add up. I mean, we had one year, a couple guys, they got a couple of those permits because they were still there. And, um, you know, gives you something to go after if you've already filled the other tags. So, yeah. Um, let's see here. I want to talk about antler point restrictions. So this mm-hmm. is something that Pennsylvania has. When did they institute those? Was it like 2000? Oh, man. It's probably 15, 20 years, maybe. I don't know. It's I, been 15, I'd say. I I think the first year I hunted over there was 2007, and they had them. Yeah. So it's definitely been around for a while. Now, when I would go to camp, you know, this is a camp that had been there for years, and back in the day, I mean, they would shoot, I don't want to say it's Browns down, but, you know, they were doing the, the, anybody could get a buck, it was, it was good, right? And then back in the day, it was yeah. spikes, it was nubs, it was anything. And I, I kid you not, Johnny, looking at that wall, you start in the 1970s when that camp was started, and it was these little tiny deer. And then as time yeah. went on, it was like you hit that, and every year, every set of antlers had the um, year put on it you know 2000 all of a sudden these deer just started growing in size and growing Mm -hmm. and growing so i know at first antler point restrictions were not popular because it just totally limited what you guys could actually shoot what an out-of-stater anybody could shoot um outside of youth right but it's in my opinion from what i can see on the wall uh, it did a lot for the size of the deer that you guys are able to, to pull, especially out of the big woods. Would you agree? Yeah. yeah and I, I, I know I've talked to like, so yeah, you're talking big woods. Um, I think in my opinion, um, when you're talking about the deer were spikes up through the seventies, eighties, I think the cause of that is because it was, there was, I think at the turn of the century when they logged the northern like they raped the land they took every tree off it um and as the forest grew there was so much food up into the you know the population the deer population grew as the forest grew and there was browse everywhere but when you're when then you have a x amount of deer in this forested area kind of a high um density deer density and now you have a, at some point that the canopy, uh, the, mature, the the trees are mature and there's no light coming. So it's like the food was there and then it was cut off. Um, so they would browse on anything. And I remember when I was 18, 20, and I would go to the, the big woods. And if I was there in the summer from five feet off the ground to the ground was brown. There was nothing that grew. It was a browse line. 
and being from Pittsburgh, we didn't have that. But going up there, and it was really unique. And basically, they ate themselves out of a house and home. These deer did, to where they died off. I don't know. People talk about coyotes and this and that. I I just think that they couldn't sustain the high population anymore. Because um, first, I think the deer. I'd say you know I've seen pictures of deer in the 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 forties, fifties, like big bucks, thirties, and then you like you say you get in the seventies, and then population grew and then um there was still food there but not enough to make them large body deer so they they just you know did what their population did their species did they got smaller with smaller horns but um just outrageous amounts of deer i mean you would go in the 70s and 80s and you would see 100 deer a day in this forested area and even I caught it maybe in the, the 90s where there'd be a string of 80 deer in a line just come through. And the biggest one was a six and you shot that one, you know. But, you know, getting into the 2000s, is, they died they, off, I, I I do believe. And then the forest had time to come back and regenerate. And when plant life is stressed, it doesn't, you know, come up the next year. It's It's it takes years for the forest to regenerate and, and grow what is supposed to be there. And then it just took time. And then these deer started, the numbers were down and there's, so now they, the numbers are low and the, and it's how it should be. And the species of plants I see up there unreal that I didn't see the variety 20 years ago, there wasn't nothing when they were stressed. And then shortly after, and just, it took time for these, this plant life to come back. So then they also implemented this point restriction that I think helped. But there was a guy I talked to east of Pittsburgh, kind of farmland, farm country, a uh, lot of private land, um, not large tracts of forest. And he told me he didn't like the point restriction because they were killing all the two-year-old deer that had four on one side your 100 to 115 inch deer you know um so all the only thing was left were spikes fours and sixes so these are the deer that we're breeding the, the immature deer and so that's what i mean it's hard to you know control this state and how it because yeah in a forested area there's it's vast and there's not much food um but there's a lot of cover in some of these areas and these deer themselves are able to get away, not just because of the point restriction, but just because uh, the terrain and the cover allow. And there's other areas there is, isn't that much terrain and cover. Um, there's a lot more hunters. Like I said, there's tons of hunters. And so they're shooting two-year-olds all day long out there. So he, he told me that maybe five years ago. And I was like, oh, he's like, yeah, they just kill our two-year-olds. So there's certain areas that it don't work well or i think um in that situation maybe you need to get everybody in that you know in an area and say hey, we just need to let these bucks go another year you know what i mean i think with any state i've been in whatever is the biggest buck you're seeing you're going to come home with you know at one point you might be seeing i've seen it in different states that at one point i've seen 150s and 160s and then as time went on hunters moved in and then it got to where there was 120s and 130s. So you're on an out-of-state hunt. 
you're seeing 120 and 130, what are you going to take? The 120, 130, and that's the 150 for next year. And then before you know it, um, I've moved out of states in certain areas that that happened to, you know, you just, um, if you're not seeing that mature deer, you're just taking whatever, you know, so, um, and I think people like, if people would let in some of these areas, let some of these bucks go, I feel like to let them grow, then when you start seeing a lot of one thirties to 40 class, then, you know, you're going to hold out for them. But yeah, it's, a, it's, it's definitely helps. But like I said, there's a situation where it doesn't, you know what I mean? Um, but yeah, for the most part, I think it's, it's a good thing, you know, Johnny, as a resident of Pennsylvania, if, if tomorrow they came out and said, we're not doing antler point restrictions anymore, what's going to happen? What would the general consensus be? You know, I, I don't know what, the general population says i don't know if i don't know that it is there'd be a significant change because a lot of these areas in the northern pa these deer are getting away um there's still going to be mature deer out there you know what i mean um yeah it does allow some of the younger deer get by but when you have a population of mature bucks and with people running cameras nowadays they know what's there they're holding off for them anyways they're not even shooting these spikes. You know what I'm saying? It goes back to what I said. Like, if there's good deer there, you're going to hold off for that good deer no matter what. You know what I mean? Now, if the only thing is out there is spikes, fours, and sixes, well, that's what they're going to shoot. Then the point restriction would work. And then, you know, it would hold off for the bigger deer. But then it comes into cover and terrain and how they can get away. And then you take a situation of the guy I talked to. So they don't get away. They'll just go to the next farm. Um, and even a buddy of mine close to here has a farm that they – um they can't get away. They'll let the two-year-olds go and they just go to the next farm and they the biggest deer, like 130, 120s are good. And you can't make it. There's just too many hunters in some of these areas. Um, and that's why I always look for like some vast areas, tough hunt, hunting areas, a lot of cover terrain to, you'll get a deer, you know, and it's all, you know, and what you want, get to them areas that can sustain some mature deer. Yeah, that's for sure. So, um, I think one of the other, okay, and just to clarify on the antler point restrictions, if you guys decide to go hunt Pennsylvania, you need to check the the game regulations and stuff, but it's three on each side in most parts of the state. In some places, it doesn't count the brow tine. Is that right? You have to, you have three. Yeah, like three up high is usually uh, a shooter. You know, if you have the main beam, like G2, three, and, you know, um, and you know, I, I don't, I don't really pay much attention to it. You know, some of it is a brow. You, we have to look at the regulations. They define it, but yeah, it's like, I know definitely like a shooter is three up. Um, you know, that'd be your two, three in your, your, your main beam. So, uh, yeah. And I'll tell you from experience, make sure that that deer before you pull that trigger has all those points, right? That's uh, yeah. not something you want to deal with. Uh, because in Ohio, it's not something like if you see a deer, you know, it gets you going and, and that's what you're going to take. Go good. Go for it. Whatever. Hunt your hunt. But, uh, over there it is different and you need to make sure that the ones, um, if you're going to pull that trigger, it's got, it's got what it takes and legally. Right. So, and I'm not saying I'm not advocating for people to just go out and shoot the first thing they see, but you know, yeah, it's what like kind of know your target <laughs> i mean people exactly want to know he's running well i mean it's, now you gotta kind of know a little better what you're absolutely so i think the biggest to me the biggest 
difference, well, one of them, in, in, in Pennsylvania and Ohio, you guys have rifle season. We just have yeah. a uh, smooth, or what is it, straight barrel rifle that we're allowed to use over here. Um, and that usually is, like you said earlier, it is now starts like the Saturday after Thanksgiving. Uh, and it goes for two weeks, right? Yeah. Yeah. The first, the first, well, it's, it difference. Don't quote me, you know, as far as dough harvesting dough, but yeah, definitely you got two weeks of rifle and that's always been, been that way. And yeah. Uh, yeah. Rifle's been, there's some areas like around Pittsburgh. I know you're, it's, it's slug or Philadelphia just because you're in around congested areas where you can't even shoot a rifle. You know, but yeah, it's been rifled for forever, you know, so that's pretty cool. It is very cool. And compared to a lot of, there's parts of Ohio, in my opinion, you could hunt safely with a rifle, but that's the way the, the rules are that we, we are not. So um, definitely something if you've got one of those in the cabinet and you want to get out and give something a poke, it gives you a little bit more of a stretch than, than what we see over here in Ohio. So, yeah. Um. Man, Johnny, this has been good. I think very educational. Uh, we've covered just about everything that was on my list. Do you want to tell people where to find you? I know you're like on on social media and everything. Uh, where they can find your your content? Oh yeah, I'm I'm just kind of active on Instagram, um, and post stuff, a lot of stories. You know, when I'm out in the woods and, and stuff like that, and just um, but I've done a fair amount of podcasts over the years and you just kind of Google my name or whatever, and it'll, it'll kind of pop up and uh, yeah, I like helping people. And I've started recently this year, just kind of help uh, or helping people by consulting. Um, a lot of people contact me. Well, over the years, a lot of people call and I try to answer everybody. Um, but now I just kind of started a business doing that. And, and if anybody's interested, they can shoot me a message on Instagram or my email is Stuart one, four, nine, six, seven at Gmail. Um, but yeah, I feel like all the I, I've got a lot of experience, and to me, experience means you've done enough wrong that you know what to do right. And I, how I said, you know, I'd sit in a spot, and because the guy said this is it, and, and this is what he said in the magazine, and then it didn't work. So I needed to find out what works for me and where I'm hunting. And I've hunted a dozen states for whitetails, uh, so I've been in enough habitat and, and situations that. Um, and I do believe it's situational and some people are really good at hunting a mountain deer in this area or, or, but it doesn't always, and this comes down to situational where, you know, you take yourself to, you know, a river bottom or something and it's, it's going to be different. I mean, you can still use tactics, but I, and that's why I, I found myself in so many different situations and I, I don't like giving a black and white answer. Usually guys would ask me one question and I'd ask them 20 back to, to fill out that situation that they're in and put myself there and then make a, a decision on what I would do next. Not just like, don't just would you, you need to go find a scraper. You need to do this. You, you know, okay. I'd ask 90 questions in there. So yeah, I have lately uh, been helping people and, and uh, charging them for my time, which is to me, everybody's happy with it. Um, because, um, it took me all these years to get to where I'm at and, and, an hour of my time to someone it's so beneficial. They guys tell me, um, I probably learned more with learning, you know, in, a, in an hour from you than I did would have learned in, in, in years, or I've, 
I've hunted with a few guys that are really new to hunting or, and, and they would tell me that, that, man, just being with you on a hunt, it's like, wow, there's stuff I had no clue. And it's like, wow, I'd kind of jump forward in time, just being, you know, so, um, so yeah, I've been helping people out that way and hoping to help the, you know, hoping I can help them harvest the deer, you know, this year. So that, that's going pretty good. And, and uh, but yeah, that's, um, that's, that's about it, Andrew. What was your Instagram account? Uh, the Johnny Stewart, sorry. The Johnny Stewart. The Johnny Stewart, yeah. So Like the Ohio State Buckeyes, but the Johnny Stewart, so. Yeah, that's that's me. All right, Johnny. Well, we appreciate it. I know this is a little maybe different than normal, some of your normal uh, podcasts you do, but we really appreciate it. And coming from somebody who knows Pennsylvania, I hope it uh, helps you know any of the listeners out there if they decide to take uh, a trip east. So. Sounds good. Hey, have a, have a good one, and we will talk to you soon.